There are moments in time where your prepared remarks are no longer relevant. This is one of those moments. So I'm just going to speak from the heart about what's on my mind at this moment. And I understand that I and my colleagues in the spiritual leadership team, uh, we have the task of providing comfort for our community and also a sense of hope. What makes that very challenging is that there's not a member of our spiritual leadership team who themselves is comfortable at this moment. It's very difficult to provide comfort for others when, quite frankly, the only thing I'm thinking about at this moment is my daughter Ziva, who has not yet checked in with us. She lives in Haifa, so I'm not worried yet that she's in harm's way, but I am extremely anxious that we haven't heard from her yet. And I'm thinking also uh, about um, Danielle Silverman's cousin, Sarah Goldberg's brother. Sarah Goldberg was one of three people who knocked on my door this morning to make sure I knew the news, um, who's probably going to be um, called up in this massive call-up of soldiers and reservists that are going to um, be called up to, to defend uh, and regain Israel's uh, deterrency. I'm thinking about um, all the many, many family members of the shul. Uh, you might recall on Rosh Hashanah we added the prayer for the IDF because Judy Phil Carr and Don Carr had called me before Rosh Hashanah and said their grandkids just got called up to serve in the IDF on the Gaza border because there was concern about a flare-up and that they weren't going to be able to be home for Rosh Hashanah and they wanted us to recite that prayer to help comfort them in that moment. So I'm thinking about all the many, 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 many connections of people in our congregation that have family and friends in Israel and are at this moment disturbed and full of anger and sadness and fear and anxiety. I'm also thinking about Yuri, who most of you never see, <laughs> but Yuri's our digital production manager who's responsible for our live stream and really now most of the technology at Betzedek. And he shared with us this morning that his wife's cousin was scheduled to be married tomorrow in Israel. I'm sorry? is scheduled, oh, is scheduled to be married tomorrow. As I said, I'm speaking from the heart, so you have to forgive the faux pas. <laughs> um, and I hope that that wedding goes on. I remember how inspiring it was during the Second Lebanon War when there, were, there was one day in which all those Israelis that had put off their weddings, there was like 40 weddings that took place. And in the midst of the bombardment, life went on. There's nothing more hopeful or optimistic of young people standing underneath the chuppah and committing to build a life for themselves together in the land of Israel. I'm thinking about all my family and friends. I'm thinking about Sherelle who lives on a kibbutz 
in, the, in one of the hot zones. Uh, Sherelle, who was our family um, educator before Panina joined us. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and I just am a jumble of mixed emotions trying to hold it all together. And if I'm feeling this way, I imagine that all of you are feeling this way as well. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about the larger geopolitical issues and the connection to Sukkot. Sukkot, as we've said many times, is a holiday that reminds us of, of our vulnerability. Uh, Kohelet, over and over and over again, reminds us how vain all of the things that we seem to think are important when we're not reminded of the things that really matter, the pursuit of wealth, of material items, of power, and so forth. We go into the sukkah to remind us, hevel hevelim, that they are vanity, that at the end of the day, none of that matters if you can't dwell in security. And the security of the sukkah is not bricks and mortars, it's not a startup nation, it's not even peace treaties with other nations. This ultimate security of the sukkah is community. Ufros aleinu sukkah shlomecha. The ultimate message of the sukkah is that it's God's sheltering presence that gives us faith in the future. And that faith is emphasized and expanded and enriched through community. The word shalom, shin lamed mem, does not mean peace. It means wholeness. That when we are whole, when we have shleimut, when our well-being is assured and it is expressed through the relationships that we have with family and friends and community and Torah and peoplehood, we are invincible. Because no matter what the elements may be, both natural elements or the elements of anti-Semitism and hate and violence, we will always overcome when we have shleimut, when we stand under a sukkah of shalom. And I'm sad that I believe that part of the reason why Hamas felt so emboldened to strike at this moment was because the Jewish people do not sit in shalom. We are more divided than we have ever been, certainly in my lifetime, and perhaps even going back to the destruction of the Second Temple, where Sinat Chinam, the rabbis, attributed to the fall of the Temple. I don't believe Israel's going to fall. Hamas is not an existential threat. But we clearly underestimated and created through our own divisions a lack of deterrence where they felt that they could not only attempt such an act, but they succeeded. The terrorist only has to succeed once. We have to succeed over and over and over again to make sure that we have unity, not unanimity, but unity, 
of shared purpose and presence and care and concern because that is ultimately our greatest deterrence. And I think we're going to get it again. In fact, I'm confident we're going to get it again. What Hamas underestimated, what our modern enemies always underestimate, is that we may, we may fight ferociously in the streets or in the Knesset, but when it comes to moments like this, we will unify and we will do what must be done in order to re-establish security and safety for Israelis. I'm confident of that. But I'm also incredibly sad because I know what the cost is going to be. The latest news is that over 100 Israelis have been killed. Over 1,000 injured. And we do not yet know how many have been taken prisoner into Gaza. So I know, I know what, the, what Israel has no choice now but to do. And it's going to be bloody. And there's going to be hundreds of Israelis that are going to die. And there are going to be thousands of Palestinians that are going to die. Because Israel has no choice, I believe, but to recapture Gaza. And that's going to take weeks. And it's going to take months for Israel then to go and to clean out the terrorists and their cells and their booby traps. And we all know that Hamas is waiting for them. And so I also am thinking about how do we gird ourselves for what is necessary in the immediate future to support Israel at a time in which the world at this moment may be sympathetic, but the minute the IDF goes to work will turn as if suddenly Israel is the aggressor and the Palestinians have no responsibility for their actions. And though I quote the numbers, and I know the press is going to, it always does this, right? It keeps tabs. 100 Israelis, 3,000 Palestinians, as if there's some sort of moral equivalency in the cause for the actions and the way in which Israel acts to defend itself. But as I said earlier, each one of those Israelis is somebody's father, somebody's wife, somebody's child, somebody's cousin, somebody's friend, and I'm girding myself personally for the very real possibility that I know people that may have been victimized from this. And if I don't know somebody personally, I am sure I know somebody who knows somebody. This isn't abstract. This is personal. We have a challenging 72 hours in front of us. And then beyond those 72 hours, we're gonna have a very challenging several weeks and probably months before we really have the breathing space to take a step back and to analyze the failures that took place and the lack of social cohesion 
that emboldened Hamas to strike in the way in which it did. And that'll come, as it always does. And hopefully we'll learn the lessons from that analysis and make adjustments and grow and learn from it and do so in such a way that we don't allow ourselves to slip into such a moment where we are so vulnerable. But what gives me hope? What gives me hope? I have hope that, uh, and I know, that Israel will rally around itself and despite the political and social divisions, Israel will come together and it will support each other and the IDF will do what it needs to do to reestablish deterrence. I have hope because I know that the members of this community in particular are Zionists and that when Israel starts to make calls of the ways in which we can support Israel, we will respond. We will respond with philanthropy, we will respond with missions, we will respond with letters and notes and advocacy in Canada and in Israel. We will do what we are called upon to do in order to support the state of Israel. Because ein lanu eretz acheret, we don't have another land, another state. And this, though not an existential threat, is absolutely a threat that requires our unanimity in response. I have, I have hope because in, in praying this morning and reviewing the Sidor and the Torah reading and Kohelet, Kohelet especially if you've if you go, go later today and read chapter 10, you want to talk about a criticism about leadership, it's there in this morning's Kohelet reading. Coincidence? Maybe. But it's there. Our sacred tradition, because it's been around for so long and we are people that have experienced the greatest ups that any human beings can experience, especially the reestablishment of the state of Israel after 75 years of exile and dispersion, and the greatest lows that anyone could have possibly imagined in human history. I look to our liturgy, and as Aviva and I were talking earlier this morning, it speaks a truth to our reality. It reminds us that even in moments such as this, the mitzvah of Sukkot is v'samachta v'chagecha. We must always remember to find joy and happiness even in those moments of trial and tribulation. Perhaps especially in those moments of trial and tribulation. And for me, at this moment, that sense of joy and simcha comes from knowing that I'm not alone that you're not alone. And the most important message that we can send to Israelis today, both those that are personally connected to us and the people at large, is that they are not alone. We are with them. We're praying for them. And when called upon, we will act. 
in order to provide the resources of support that we can provide. That gives me hope. Because it also gives me a plan of action. And in responding in that way, we will become the sukkah of shalom for Israel at this moment. We become the sheltering presence in the storm that will help with the cleanup, the support, the advocacy to ensure that Israel has the tools, the resources, the spiritual network, and the political support that it will need worldwide to accomplish the very, very difficult task at hand. We come to Yizkor because we remember. We remember the Yom Kippur War 50 years ago. We remember, ask Irving, we remember the War for Independence where when Israel was just being born, Jews from the diaspora did everything necessary to help it come into existence, including going and fighting and serving in the Haganah. We remember what the world was like when there wasn't a state of Israel. And when Jews were not granted the opportunity to defend themselves by themselves against those who would do us harm. And we remember all of our family and friends who passed that memory on to us. Those for whom we come to say Yizkor, who were our Sukkot Shlomecha at times of trouble, who comforted us and provided us with a sense of hope and passed on to us the values that we must call upon now to navigate through this moment. And finally, what gives me hope is a verse from Psalm 23, the Shepherd Psalm. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you, God, are with me. The verse is that we all ultimately must walk through the valley of, shadow, of the shadow of death. How we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life. We walk this journey in our personal lives by remembering those who are no longer with us. And we walk this journey as a people through those moments in our communal lives of death but we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We dare not dwell there. And we walk this valley not alone, but together with each other and with God's Sukkot Shlomecha. <laughs>